You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Tamara, welcome to Real Faith Stories. I am absolutely stoked for this conversation. <laughs> I love that, and I love that word. I'm stoked too. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story and the radical transformation and transition, really, to a life of peace from a life of performance that began with an overwhelming encounter you had with God in your living room. Absolutely. And it gives me like a sense of somberness even to think about the past of living a life of performance based in striving and accolade-driven and people-pleasing and living for the expectations of whether it's culture or our parents or our siblings or if for my predicament, even feeling that pressure from my own spouse. And I remember being in a space of not understanding the difference between self-motivation and expectation and living in that place is, is exhausting and it's overwhelming. Mm. I think a lot of people are experiencing burnout and overwhelm and confusion. And one of the number one things I hear now is the desire for clarity. And so I hope that as I share my story, people who feel those sense of societal pressures or personal pressures, that they know that there is a place of rest and there is a place of peace connected to that. And it doesn't mean you don't get to experience recognition and accolades and achievements. But when you do it out of the heart set of glorifying God, it makes it so much more enjoyable and so much more rich and so much less pressure connected to that because the story's already been written, right? And it's not how hard I work. It's who I get to be that allows me to exist here even in this show. So thanks for the space, Brian. Yeah. So I'll jump in kind of to like the tumultuous mess of all of those things and where I found myself was in a place of having two different businesses. One was a local brick and mortar store and one was a global e-commerce company, all connected around maternity and pregnant women and babies. I actually started one of them when I was seven months pregnant and shortly after my second was born, had my other one. And so these were very incredible opportunities, but they were also taking about 60 to 70 hours of my attention per week in the midst of raising two kiddos, trying to maintain friendships or lack thereof, and having a spouse in the midst of when is connection time for yourself, right? When you're on that overdrive, supersonic adrenaline junkie really was where I was at. And in the shadows of my mind, I hated it. I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know why I was doing it. And yet I just every day had this wild energy that I could just press go. And at the same exact time, because of the void that kind of chased after me in my mind, I was suppressing. And so suppression tactics for my day-to-day -day life looked like lots of sleeping. I would sleep 12 hours a day, sometimes three-hour naps if I could in the midst of all of that working and being a mom. So how that happened, I have no idea. For a while, it was Tylenol PM or NyQuil. That was the support aid in that. Uh, whether it was shopping and then having immense buyer's remorse pretty quickly afterwards because of the amount of shopping that I was doing. This was also when like craft beer was coming to life. And when I was 
creating these companies. I was going and living that like happy hour, 21-year-old lifestyle. And I was also totally avoiding any difficult conversation. So any conflict with my spouse, any conflict with anyone, really, I was just always the happy-go-lucky, right? I was always the one who could throw on a smile and make everything seem fine. And I was just never actually utilizing my voice the way that God allows me to now, but I didn't know what my voice was. I didn't even know what these words, some of these words that I'm saying, I didn't even know what they meant. I was completely starved, depraved. My body became not the vessel that it is for the Lord today, but a trophy. I thought I was supposed to be a trophy wife. And really, Brian, all of this came to a screeching halt when I pulled into my driveway one day and had this, what I call my tombstone moment, where I recognized this void. I recognized this chasm. My little girl who was barely waddling had just gotten done nursing. I was weaning her at this point. She came waddling towards me and looked at me and then turned around towards my spouse, my husband that was in the driveway. And I was like, wait a second what am I doing all of this for? And even though in that moment, my response action was, I didn't even go after the hug. Like you think about our father in heaven, our Abba, who like always comes pursuing after us. I didn't even have enough energy or feeling of true emotion and recognizing those emotions to be able to run after my own daughter in that moment, to just scoop her up anyway and hug her anyway. I went in and felt that consistent void just like pegging at my spirit. And I actually got caught And I'll say caught, and then I had a forced quit to said scenarios because I got caught in the middle of the chasm that I had created. And I think a lot of times we feel like we've hit a rock bottom, but ultimately, like our choices got us to that place, whether we want to take ownership in that or not. It took me a while to raise my hand to be like, oh, I I built that. I dug that hole. I dug that pit but simultaneous to that, there's, you know, cultural expectations, there's generational bondage and ties that had a role in that. There was addiction that played in my life. There was sexual abuse from when I was little that I ran from. There was sexual traumas that were led into middle school and high school. And my world was a beautiful mess. And yet we were called Barbie and Ken and perfection was what people saw And so I just lived out of that place of void. And when I came into this being caught perspective, my husband realized that I had been stepping out on him and he he confronted me. And when we had that conversation, I went from feeling depressed to suicidal ideation. And every night I was in like full body shakes of convulsion thinking I have created this and now everyone's going to find out. I think I was more afraid, Brian, of being caught than I was of losing everything. And then simultaneous to that, I was like, this is what I prayed for. I prayed to be a mom. I prayed to be a wife. And at this point, my tombstone was just going to say entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And that was not my identity. And so I went on a really big experience. And ultimately, that living room moment was me meeting God, meeting Jesus face to face. And this was a couple of hours after this being caught experience. And I think that's what's so beautiful about it is like, we think we're so far gone. We find ourselves lost. We find ourselves in a place of of a pit. And yet Jesus is so close, so, so close. And he can't wait for you to just meet him face to face. And we've just been avoiding contact. And so this was my contact moment that transformed my life. Prior to that moment, had you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Do you remember experiencing that younger? 
I did actually. And I was kind of drawn into Christian camp and, and understanding Christianity when I was 14 specifically. I'd gone to a couple of youth camps to middle school, but based on some addiction problems in my family, I saw some things I shouldn't have seen when it came to family bondage and people being hurt that I loved. And so I did run to his arms in the past, but I never had this divine encounter. I had never met Jesus face to face the way that it happened that I'll never forget in my living room at 29. So I know that God was real I and I knew who Jesus was and that I needed to have a relationship with him. But it was more just that what we know is like the Christianese, like very informal, how's everything? Oh, it's good all the time, right? And yet never truly being vulnerable with him. And so the three lines that he said to me that have forever changed my life were, you are fully seen, you are fully known, and I still love you. Let's pause on that. Yeah. You're fully seen, you're fully known, and I still love you. That's what you heard in your living room. Yes. A hundred percent audible face-to-face. Like he took my I was looking down and it was literally raining and storming outside. And literally the Lord lifted my chin to his eye so that I was not in this place of shame and guilt and downcast. But he brought me back in that moment instantaneously. Brian, it's wild. The people that were there said it looked like I had a physical transformation. And when I see pre-pictures to this moment and post-pictures, I too can physically see the transformation. When I was brought eye to eye with him, and those were the words he laid over my spirit, over my soul, I I said yes. I, I surrendered in that moment to anything that was self-made, anything that was societal made. And I said, I am God made and I want to exist in that identity and not anything else that I created. What had happened just prior to him speaking to you that way? Well, we had brought who we call our fairy godmother over and she actually shared with us for the first time, and we had known her for a decade. She was who married us, everything. She shared with us her testimony for the first time. And we were one of the first couples she ever shared it with. And it was such a transformative moment to have this revelation of outside of my current space that I didn't have to focus on that, but that she gave me this gift of being like, I too understand. And here's the hope on the other side of that. So we really call her like she was an angel that came in and it it was a couch moment that turned into years of therapy thereafter and self-exploration and self-identity. But that's what happened. And in that same moment, we saw the sun just pierce through this home that we had just had a wild renovation through. So I often say that what's happening in the natural of your life is generally a precursor to what the Lord is about to do in your supernatural, spiritual being, spiritual realm. And so he had prepared us, even in our house, to knock down all the walls. There was nowhere to hide. There was nowhere to run. There was no places to store clutter. There were no cobwebs. And the light came through that house for the first time in a space of gratitude. And my husband and I went on this journey of redemption. And just even this past year, seven years later, we were able to renew our vows. And this was the first time I felt like I got married. And we went through a lot. There was a ton that happened. My my husband also went through those pits of despair and had to, to find his way out and did some things he wished he didn't in the process of identifying who he was. And so it's it's truly... Everything that we get to do through our knowledge of 
who we are in Christ, it directly affects everyone we're connected to. So there was heartaches, heartbreaks, but there was also some incredible victories connected to that. What's one of the first things you recall after this experience, kind of a watershed memory? Yeah, there's two I would share. One, that it wasn't this instantaneous healing, right? I told you that I had depression. I was experiencing panic attacks through the night and suicidal ideation. I still felt that void inside of me. I still felt like I needed to be fixed. Even though I was seen and known and loved, I still felt like I can't exist in this current state of my body or my mind any longer. And so I remember sitting in my living room Googling, where do I go? Where does somebody like me go? What's wrong with me? I didn't even know what was wrong with me. Why had I chosen all of these choices in order to get to this place? I I truly didn't know. And I remember finding different homes and houses for moms and women and all of this. And it was like wildly expensive. And we did not have the finances, especially I just decided to quit both of these jobs unexpectedly. And these were like seven, eight figure, nine figure contracts that I was letting go of in order to go on this journey of healing. And I just remember feeling so alone. And my husband came in and he hugged me from behind and he's like, what What are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know, but I need help. And I don't have an option. I don't want to abandon my children to go do this. We also don't have the finances. So I don't know how this is supposed to work. And so this is when we went to a church for the first time together. And we called every church in our city. We called 13 different places that we were familiar with. And none of them had a service, a Wednesday night service, which is what we had gone to a couple times when we were first dating. And so we found this one, he remembered, he recalled a contact that he had in his phone from two years before that he had replaced somebody's HVAC and he was a pastor and he was in a local neighboring city. And he's like, let me call this one person. So we were both desperate. He calls this guy and the guy even tells us today, he's one of our best friends. He's like, we were so nervous when we told you that we had someone because we had like our D string performing that night. A string was at a conference. B string was at a conference. C string was sick. So it was like our D string. And we're like, we're bringing new people into our church. This is going to be an absolute disaster. But Brian, it was so ordained. It was so perfectly timed. When we came in, we felt the Spirit of God for the first time. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was capable of. I didn't know anything about this. It was a Pentecostal-rooted church that had just conformed into non-denominational, essentially. But it didn't matter. I was on my face. We were weeping at the altar every Sunday for about three years in the process of our healing. Made some of our best friends since then. I got ordained under that church. I went to a worship school out of that church. And there was just so much truth. It was the first time I went to church and I didn't feel judged. It was the first time I went to church. And when someone asked me how I was doing, I could actually vulnerably say, I'm struggling. And I never felt that sense or spirit of condemnation. And really, we became so supernaturally filled by the Holy Spirit in that space that our our marriage is just truly transformed and our parenting has transformed, our businesses have transformed. And it's all because of a safe haven that was created out of other people who had previously experienced brokenness. You were there three years. Yeah. And during that three-year period, how did God press the reset button in your life? What were the major events that occurred for you and your husband? 
Yeah. So we went and got baptized actually about a year or so into that scenario by that same fairy godmother angel, whomever you want to call her. And it was about a year and a half after that I was into my ordination and minister's licensing. And one of the biggest heartbreaks, this is the thing I need people to know, like when God resets, it doesn't mean flesh doesn't still exist. It doesn't mean that heartaches and heartbreaks don't still exist. I mentioned briefly about my husband's experience going through this and what had transpired was so much healing on my behalf, so much redemption on my behalf. We were so, so focused on me that in that healing journey, we lost sight of him. He lost sight of himself and he stepped out and did things he wished he never did. And I had no idea about it. And so about a year into that experience, we had already been baptized together. And there was, you know, I think the lies were probably the hardest part to kind of get past after already experiencing that. We got rebaptized about three years into that scenario. And that I really believe was the moment that we were able to come to the other side of the chasm. So I started coaching at that point out of this and helping other entrepreneurs because I I was so passionate about business. Obviously, if I had done it my whole years of my 20s, like God took all these things that I was really good at and loved and he turned them and I got to use them for him. I got to show up on on behalf of him and not let this be a self-created, Tamara did this, but glorify God through my action because this Holy Spirit led me into those things. One of the things that I'd like to ask you about in this process is the whole idea of identity. Yes. Let's dig into that. Explain, if you would, how you came alive and understood who Tamra was created by God to be. Well, I mentioned the worship school briefly, and let me just, for all of those who are like, oh, that's not for me, I am not a singer. I will sing for you any day, but I am not someone you want to record while I sing. (laughs) And (laughs) I am also not a musician. And so for me to be summoned into a worship school, this was almost pretty soon. It was probably a couple months after this all happened and I was in therapy full-time and a stay-at-home mom full-time. I decided to say yes to this experience. It was the first time I felt called, first time I felt summoned. Like it was not really an option. I was going to do this. God was like, yep, this is for you. Mm. And so I get into this year-long worship school. It's called Burn 24-7. You guys might know Sean Foyt with Let Us Worship Movement. And he's been worshiping in every state. He was a part of that founding experience and some other incredible people, David Fritch, who is just brilliant when it comes to prophetic lens and, and worshiping around dance. That was one thing I love to dance that God restored through this experience and also the heart of worship. And to understand that worship, whether you're a singer or a musician, it's never about you. It's always about God. I got to understand like what it looks like in the realms of heaven for angels to cast their crowns. And what does that mean? And to be in the throne room of the holiest of holies and to worship God and all of his creation. And that was when I was able to take my mirror moments that I couldn't look in the mirror for a long time after this transpired because of the shame. I realized when I looked in the mirror that I was a Christ creation. I was a daughter of the King. And so when I look at myself, just like when God sees me, he's looking at himself because I am made new. I've literally been reinstated blanketed by Jesus himself. So he doesn't look at me like my past and he doesn't look at me even as my mirror. He looks to me as a Christ 
like image. He sees himself. And so that's what he calls higher is that element of self. And so through that identity became not about my titles, not about my accolades, not about my achievements, not about when someone shakes my hand and I say, oh, you know, what do you do? I can't stand that question. I always say, what are you passionate about? Right. Mm. Because your passions indicate your identity. And similar to how your value and what you value and what you're putting your finances into will often indicate what you value, right? And so it really matters. And so identity to me became whose I was instead of what the world called me. And that is a whole new authority. Someone listening to this is probably thinking, oh, that's great, Tamara. You're a daughter of the king. And Mm -hmm. they're thinking, how on earth do I get into that mental state, that state of believing and knowing that in my bones? Well, I'll say the the bones add, the very last word that you just said is like, it just sealed what I was about to say, because it is a mind, body, and soul, right? It's a spiritual transformation that takes place, but your mind and your body are a part of that. And so we, just like the Trinity, there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gives us these flesh-like through Jesus experiences for us to be able to say, okay, God, like how do I emulate that truth that I am a daughter of the King? So for me, it was this body transformation that took place through the gym. I was a personal trainer and fitness consultant, nutritionist, all that. I was a gymnast for 16 years prior to that. So my body had always been a part of my identity, especially because I came in contact with porn when I was really little. And I mentioned that sexual trauma that occurred in my life when I was only three. Mm. So suppression connected to my femininity had been massive. Not to mention I was like an MTV 80s, 90s kid, right? And so I just thought my sexuality was what defined me, which is why a lot of my actions were very like flesh-driven. And so in this physical transformation, like I told you, you could see a before and after picture of me. It wasn't like I was obese and now I'm skinny. It was not like I was like not already muscular and now I'm like a bodybuilder. That wasn't it. It was this inside out experience. I had to let go of music. I let go of foods that I used to eat. I let go of locations that I used to attend. I let go of things that used to go into my eyes. I could no longer watch movies, TVs, Netflix, like the series that I used to watch. I couldn't hold on to the things like tangibly that I used to hold. I had to let go of everything that was and come into this divine alignment And it was so tangible. And this is where it's practical. And I wrote a book all about this called Always Becoming. And it truly is about this mind-body evolution that took place because of what the assets were that I shifted out of my life. And I came to really appreciate the truth and, and hold truth as my identity rather than all the things the world gives us as what is our identity. And so I went to the gym in a whole new way. I had to literally, I remember going into a women's facility and I couldn't listen to the music because I knew all the words from the clubs that I attended and all the things that I had been exposed to when I was little. And I just had to recite in my head, Mm. I remember doing this while doing burpees and I loved working out. But after that time, and it was actually in COVID, Brian, that I, I came to this higher level of truth. Even those things that we think are just totally fine, right? Like I see these 50 year old women and they're just like, oh, a song breaks out and they just start singing these words. And I'm like, 
would you sing that over your daughter? Mm. Would you sing that over your marriage? The words that we consume, they will change the trajectory of your life, whether you think so or not. But subconsciously, you've created a truth and an action that you can't even understand. It's why I said, well, it's like, Paul, why do I do the things that I do not want to do? Because subconsciously, you are creating action because 95% of the actions you create are not with your mind. They're with your body based on what you've been involved in. The now that you're in, your body now will make actions based on your past, and you can't even make sense of it. And so this neuro-linguistic programming, this idea of neuroplasticity, this understanding that your body carries trauma, these were all the things that I did deep excavation work in connected to what does the Bible say about this? And I stood in this entirely new body in front of the mirror and in front of my husband because I understood intimacy for the first time. And that's like, that's the word that I really hone in on is intimacy connected to the mind, body, spirit transformation. Wow. So much ground we've covered. There's a couple thoughts I'd like to dig into regarding identity, circling back to that again. Obviously, you did a ton of work. You were in full-time therapy. You made some huge choices to basically delete things out of your life that were not contributing to your relationship with the Lord. And I had the same experience in college. I literally got rid of all the music I was listening to when I rededicated my life to the Lord. And this is going to date me. (laughs) Two cassette tapes created with like Leon Patillo, Amy Grant, and that's all I listened to for like the next two years. Yeah, But it matters. It so matters. It does. Let's speak to that. Somebody's thinking, okay, I've had this moment of transformation. I don't know what to do next. It seems to me that the Holy Spirit is telling you, stop that, then do this, right? Yeah, 100%. And that's that attunement, right? Because Mm -hmm. of the speed in which we go and the things and the jargon that's in our ear, even the people that we're around, right? You hear that Jim Rohn quote, some of the five people you're with. Like I had to reevaluate everything. One of the most difficult things that I had to deal with that will be difficult for other people to even consume and take action over was I had to analyze the enmeshment of my family Mm. because I was like best friends with my mom. My kids were in her daycare, which was 17 houses down. I had been a mediator for my parents in their marriage for a really long time. Whether they put me in that place or not, it, it just became my default role in our home. I was the person that people gave all of their baggage to. And I was basically carrying around everybody else's bricks. And I didn't even have an understanding of my own brick. And so this is where like, it's easier to gossip than it is to deal with your own ish, right? Mm -hmm. This is the self-evaluation of what is being handed to you by the people around you all the time. And is there an opportunity for a give and take? Are they calling you higher in your identity or are they keeping you in the corner? Who's keeping you in bondage that you think is a healthy, but it's actually very much an unhealthy relationship, enabling, or an expectation-driven relationship that you shouldn't be in. And so things like you just mentioned, getting rid of music, getting rid of what you're putting in your eyesight, right? What are you looking at on the internet? What are you looking at on your devices? Social media wasn't really a thing for me at that point, but it has become now something I have to be very mindful of. Who is going into your ear? So think about your six senses. And I say six because there is that 
soul, that subconscious, that spirit-driven discernment piece that you really need to listen and attune to because the Lord is speaking to you, whether you believe you can hear him or it's an audible thing or it's not. He is trying to guide you. The spirit is trying to get through to you, but your supersonic lifestyle and the baggage in which you're putting into yourself with all of those senses every single day are becoming the bricks in which you're carrying and you're not able to actually have clarity. Well, that begs the question then, how do you personally connect with the Lord? How do you make space for him, Tamara? Oh man, I've got to get quiet. I've got to slow down. So that for me is a daily surrender because Lord knows we can get back into the rhythms of the world versus rhythms of grace. And so I wake up around 4.30 every single day. And this is just a practical tip. People think I'm bananas. But once you do it, you can't get enough. The Lord meets me every single morning. We have coffee together. We sit by the fire together. We get into the word together. I've had some really wild encounters with God in my living room. And I think that's something people take advantage of, right? They take advantage of the the still small hours between your schedule and your sleep even, right? Like, is sleep more important than hearing from God? I'm like, no. People are like, oh, God woke me up at three in the morning and I just, I didn't want to get out of bed, so I just went back to sleep. I'm like, no, get up. He wants to tell you something so (laughs) profound that could change the trajectory of your life. Those are the times in which are like on my actual calendar And I do that every single day. When I miss it, I miss it. I can all day be like, oh, I'm yearning. I feel that sense of void. I feel that sense of lack of connection. And obviously I can pray. I can worship anytime that I want. I love to write. So even writing and journaling, I'm not very good at meditating. I've been practicing that more and more because I find that mainly when I'm in nature, And another thing that I would say that I don't think a lot of Christians tap into enough that I think is really critical is I play. How can I play with the Lord? How can you do something that evokes that positive adrenaline that can rewrite your story and it can tap into that childlike faith? And so for me, that's like dancing by the ocean or that's going on a hike barefoot or that's jumping off cliffs into a waterfall. They sound pretty extreme, but I love that. I had to tap into that side of me so that I could feel those endorphins and I could feel myself in my body because I think that's what I was striving for so long as suppression. But now it's out of a life-giving desire rather than it being something that I'm coping with. I'm like, I want to tap into what the Lord says about me in this energy. Explain a couple experiences that you've had. You said they've been pretty profound in your time with the Lord. Yeah. So one of them, a friend of mine, I was trying to understand the idea of healing. I was trying to understand what it meant to speak in tongues, really these things that existed alongside Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. And so I was doing this practice where every single morning I would come down, I would put on soaking music, like instrumental soaking worship music. And I was just speaking in tongues. And I had had the the Holy Spirit experience where I tapped into that. And he and I were having this wild encounter, but I felt like you have those like second guessing, like, did I just make that up? Are (laughs) these, is this real? You have a flesh struggle all the time. And so it was this surrender tactic of get on my knees and just practice speaking in tongues. And so while I was doing that, I was recognizing that the Lord and I speak in like word picture almost. I'm very much a visual learner. Mm -hmm. And so as I was speaking in tongues, again, not knowing if it was right or wrong or self-made, it's a very interesting experience. The Lord was responding to me in picture. The thing that I 
was trying to say to him, but didn't know if I was saying to them, he would respond and answer a word picture. Wow. So I see what he was wanting me to do next. Mm-hmm. Another experience was when someone told me to actually take a physical step into the spiritual realm in my kitchen. I was listening and he's like, if you take a step, step into the spiritual realm and see what he shows you. And so I literally made this entire walk around the island in my kitchen and I ran into things in the process because I had my eyes so devoutly tut, like squeezed. And I'm like, <laughs> God, I want to see the angelic. I want to experience this so bad. I was so eager. And I think that's what I would hope people are hearing from me. Isn't that this is some crazy girl that's hanging out in her kitchen in the wee hours of the morning, but more so just the eagerness to encounter the Lord. So after I had taken those steps, I felt crazy. It was like, this is ridiculous. If somebody saw me, if my husband came down, he'd be like, what are you doing? And so I sat down in this cozy chair. I would spend so much time with them over the course of the last year since I've moved into this specific home. And I had my hands in my lap and my eyes were gently closed. And when I opened my eyes, I saw my two hands like lightly cuffed. And one of them was not my hand. Like legitimately, it looked like a man's old. It was a different color. It had veins running through it that were not mine. (laughs) And I pulled my sleeve up because I actually have a tattoo right there. And I pulled my sleeve up to look for my tattoo. And all I could see was the cross on my hand. All I could see was the wounds, the scars, right? On the hand that was in my hand. Mm. I started weeping immediately. I come back into holding the hands together and literally the hand is just rubbing my hand, but it's not my hand. I mean, it was so insane. And I do this thing every Tuesday and Thursday, Brian, called Peloton and Preach. And the Lord had me start this last year in the midst of my workouts, which is so good because it goes so much in tandem with being fit in faith and my podcast and that evolution of body that I told you about. And he he evoked in my spirit in this moment. He said, Tamara, you have time because I felt like I couldn't share what the Lord was doing all the time because I got into the the rhythm of my business immediately upon after working out. And he's like, you have time, do it right now. Share right now while you're working out. And so in all the sweaty imperfections of the morning, like I've yet to brush my teeth, my hair's bananas, right? I started sharing what the Lord and I had just experienced in those quiet times that I have coffee with him Mm. before my workout. And I realized because I'm a speaker, I speak all the time. I've been speaking since I was little. It's been a natural thing that God has taught and trained me in, whether or not I knew it was him or I glorified him through it. Now he gets full full ownership of my speaking ability. I said yes. And when I said yes, I basically was processing out loud without preparation, without outline, without, you know, God, what do you want me to say? I would just literally pray before going live. And I would say, God, share what you want me to share. God, use me in this moment to orchestrate not only personal revelation, personal conviction, while also sharing with my community. And so I have had just the most enjoyable time. I've laughed with the Lord. I've cried with the Lord. I've had my kids walk in and these been supernatural encounters with them in the (laughs) middle of life while I am huffing and puffing on a Peloton. It sounds insane. But God is that good and he's that present. And when you say yes to something he's calling you into, even if it sounds crazy, like we've been sober for four years, no alcohol. And my friends at the time, we were in breweries. We were I was selling wine. I was literally a biodynamic wine salesman while building businesses with people to fully stand in their story. And God convicted me in an instant, no more. 
Mm. And it sounds crazy, but when you do it, God reveals himself to you. And so if you're eager to have God reveal himself, literally God in the spirit, in the flesh, Jesus himself, this is how you do it. You give up what you think is normal, what you think or what Christianity has been given to you or painted a picture as. It's none of those things. It truly is a relationship. It's a divine encounter with him. All I can see as you're sharing this, Tamara, is this casting off of other people's opinion, just absolute abandonment. So, so key. As we mm. finish up here, say we go 90-10 here or even 99-1, mm. 99% of the time, what's one of the greatest pieces, the most consistent pieces of advice you tend to give the folks that you coach? 99-1. I think the biggest thing recently, Brian, would be the word intimacy that I mentioned before. It God is not asking you to read scripture every day. He's not asking you to pray more. He's not asking you to like worship. Now he wants all of those things. He wants them, but he wants them out of a place that you're desiring him, Hmm. not your check the box. Mm -hmm. And what I found with intimacy, especially through learning this through our therapist and our marriage counseling was intimacy is not a light switch. And it's not something that you get to take tally on. Intimacy is like a posture. It's an awareness. It's being fully open and realizing that God sees every every desire, even the thoughts that go through your head, he knows. And so intimacy is that full lights on love. That's what we call it as a, as a couple, especially without alcohol. We've <laughs> really navigated intimacy an entire other way. It's like lights on love. What does that look like with God? Don't hide from him. He sees you. Don't don't bury yourself beneath something thinking that you're running away from God. Like he is right there with you. And so what does intimacy look like? Can you just talk to him? Can you just ask him the hard questions? Can you get mad with him and be angry and say those words to him instead of feeling like you can't? Can you truly stand before the mirror and give yourself away, give your flesh away and see what the Lord reveals to you in that moment? And see that the vessel that you've been created to be is so much more than even your body can ever show. And mm. and that's intimacy to me. So I would say intimacy is the solution. It's the solution to humanity's cry right now. Talk about revival and what's been going on. Like personal revival exists because of intimacy. And that's the only way that you can truly experience heaven on earth. And that's what he wants for us. We call it in the Lord's Prayer, like heaven on earth, kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And people don't believe that that exists. And it's a lie from the pit of hell because it does. It's the whole reason he sent Jesus here to redeem us. Otherwise, he would have called us all to heaven with them immediately. 100%. Yeah. How can people find out more about you, Tamara? Well, I am most active on Instagram. I'm playing in the TikTok realm right now. And I also have a YouTube channel. So you can learn all of how I apply this through a biblical lens to business. And I love taking women specifically, but we're actually launching into couples as well. I'm so excited for founders. So people who are founded in Christ and also have a vision over their life connected to their business. We're going to be doing couples retreats too. So I love to travel the world so we can play together, as I mentioned, get intimate with the Lord in a way you've never expected and take yourself out of that chaos that we often tend to live in on default. So Mm. I hope to hang out with your community. I'm so grateful to be here. And I know that it's going to imprint people in a way that they perhaps weren't expecting, but I hope that they take action. I agree. As we finish, I'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Oh, it'd be an honor. 
God, we just come to you in wonder and awe. We come to you with that reverence, that fear of the Lord, not the scared element of self where we run and hide, but the I am wide open, completely vulnerable, completely transparent with you, God, that we just come to ask you to convict us, to correct us, to bring us into further union with you, to remove the things that are binding us from getting closer to you, remove the things that have created a chasm between us. God, whatever the listener is thinking of right now in Jesus' name, will you just completely bind that to your name, that it can be no longer, whether it's a spirit of influence, whether it's a distraction, whether it's a generational bond, God, whether it's a brick, like I mentioned, God, that it would be gone in Jesus' name. We know that your burden is light. Your yoke is easy. Can they understand what the rhythms of grace look like in their life? Can they experience heaven on earth right now in Jesus' name with a radical encounter, one that they too want to experience? They're yearning for something that sounds so crazy and yet feels so divine. God, be who you are because you always are. Allow our listeners to be vulnerable enough to experience your intimate love. Thank you for sending your son on the cross. Thank you for this spirit. Thank you that we can be guided day in and day out by you, God. We thank you. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Tamara. Loved your story. Thank you, friend. Appreciate you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, Read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.